The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! because you only got like three, four gigs and then it's finished? Yeah, um, three or four gigs and then we meet back in Nashville in December and, and finish that second record. Yeah. Okay. That's the plan. And that's the plan. Just for a second I thought I'll remember you Mr. White Christmas, I'm. It's it. Oh, I can't take call a hospital. I, I, I'm, I'm, firstly, I'm I know. Mr. White Christmas. I know we've been going to podcast co-host therapy uh, lately, and they've been asking me to ask you about your problems uh, first. I think I'm having a heart so, attack. I. Uh, you're having an art. No. Attract. No. Are My you... icy heart. I think I'm having a heart attack. I uh, call the doctor. Oh, he's having a heart call, attack. Call the call Santa Claus. He'll get. He'll know the doctor. Santa. I'm... Santa. Uh, yeah. Santa, are you here? Oh. I... No, not belligerent. Hello. Not belligerent, Santa. That... Ah. God. <laughs> Goodbye, then you. F- oh, ah. <laughs> uh, I think I. Paul, I'm back. I, do, I found a Santa. Losing consciousness. This is... I can't... Ugh. Oh, he's gone. R.I.P. Rest in proximity to me. My co-host, the heat miser, Paul. I don't know where he was going with this. I guess you this, could call me dead but... weather. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> the cold miser. Well, in, that, in the year without a Santa Claus, they are the weather. It's insane. That's that's just like Big Rankin Bass to start <laughs> telling us how it is. If you'd like to do an actual intro, that's fine. <laughs> or we could just use that. I'm Mr. Paul Kaminsky. <laughs> I'm Mr. James. 
Welcome to our Jack White History Podcast. We're the third men. Yeah, and if you sat through all five minutes of whatever that was, uh, you'll be glad to know that we're going to be talking about Jack White history through different bands and different television appearances and movies and, and other such things. And today, Paul, ooh. Yes. I'm very excited for tonight. And do you know why? I can't wait for you to tell me, James. <laughs> because we're about to tread over some ground we already trod over. <laughs> Oh, the humanity. Oh, the trotting. Uh, We are going to be going over uh, sort of a jack-on-tour preliminary. We're going to be going over the Dead Weathers pre-show series of concerts before the actual North American tour. Now, Paul, correct me if I'm wrong. You already went over this, did you not? I did. So here's the dope. In episode 11 of the podcast, we told you how the Dead Weather got together. Yes. And then how they made their first album. Yes. And then. And then. In episode 44. Yes. We talked about their first album's tour. But James, the one thing we kind of glossed over in episode 44 that we've always been dying to go back to is actually how Jack launched this band. Because this band is a very unique little nugget in Third Man Records history. It's not the big blockbuster success that the Tours were. It's not the thing that made him a household name like the White Stripes were. And yet, it is so far... From your weapon. It's the most output of material the man ever did outside of the Stripes as of right now. As of right now, yes. We're recording this before Boarding House Reach. It's a weird ballsy thing to do on Jack's part and it's a strange thing for him to do and so James you've prepared a lovely episode here where we talk about what actually went into the launch of the band itself I know that's a nuanced topic (laughs) here because we kind of covered it a little in, in, in both episodes 11 and 44 but we wanted to give you an expanded look or listen, rather, at how this band really got off the ground. No, 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 no. And for those of you who are <laughs> just joining us for the first time and maybe haven't listened to episode 11 and episode 44, this would give you a good starter course for, for the Dead Weathers live performances as it is the starter for their North American tour. So, uh, yes, it's that. And, and also, James, I think it'd be... Fair to tease the audience here, we are preparing a Sea of Cowards show, and this episode is going to set a lot of the stage for what we find out in that Sea of Cowards episode. So basically, we wanted to just give you the full story. We didn't want to skip over anything. We wanted to really double down and look into the dead weather as much as we could. Right. On purpose, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> we already went over it a little bit already. So look, back off, folks. All right? Yeah. Take take a step back. Take a look at one another. You need to know the difference. (laughs) But before we get to all of that, James. Paul, I think I smell a fact. What is the most astounding fact? The most astounding fact. The most astounding fact is the knowledge. James, would you like to tell the people what I think a smell effect is? Oh, boy, would I, Paul. I think a smell effect is a portion of the show. When we find a fact about a previous topic or 
something Jack White related that we either don't want to go back and revisit as an entire new episode, don't want to re-edit into a new episode, or we just want to say this fact that we've learned because it's fun and, and you know what? This is a Jack White podcast, and we want you to know this fact that we done smelled because it smells delicious. Yeah, it does smell delicious. This fact comes courtesy of our third woman in spirit every week, Callie Durga. And Callie has a lot of interesting insights into some of the things we touched upon in episode 64, Mick Collins' extended interview. Callie points out, uh, you know, we had talked about Dan Croa a member of the Gorius who, you know, was in that group with Mick Collins. We had talked a little bit about Third Man Records putting out a an acoustic release of a uh, Dan Croa album a little while ago. Kelly points out that album is called Angels Watching Over Me, and that is uh, via Third Man, and she, uh, she has encouraged us, and I did, to listen to some of that. It's very good, James. Dan Croa was involved in the Demolition Doll Rods as well, correct? That is correct, and I'm interested in learning more about his music. I'm also, I'm mainly though. My main reaction to Dan Croa being released on Third Man is I'm very happy he's kept in touch in a positive way with more people from Detroit. I would, I love that Jack is, you know, starting to to make bridges with with some more of the Detroit acts. I don't know about you. I've been listening to a lot of Detroit Cobras recently, mm. which has been amazing. Mm. And I've also been listening to a lot more of Electric Six, which is amazing. Uh, so I'm getting, to, yeah. I'm d- taking some deep dives into some Detroit bands. I'm itching for some Detroit-based Third Man singles. You know what I'm clamoring for, James? Is I would really love Third Man to put out a Voltaire Brothers Ooh. release because I sing the Booty Electric oh, is my so new jam. Good. So good. I listen to it. All the time. And you know what else? And it is by far the best thing to come out of that Mick Collins interview for me because it forced me to go and deep dive into his catalog. And the Voltaire Brothers is so good. They're very good. Also took a dive into Funkadelic, which uh, Mick Collins said uh, he could listen to all day long. (laughs) And you know what? I listen to them all day long. Yeah. And I put them on in the morning getting ready for work. And my wife (laughs) woke up. And and said like, what are you listening to? I'm like, this is funkadelic, and she's like, yeah, it is funkadelic, but what is this? <laughs> this isn't normally um, how I wake up. This the uh, there there's another one, James. I want to mention here that Kelly points out a former dirt bomb, Troy Gregory has a new album coming soon on Jet Plastic Recordings, and so Jet Plastic. Hey. Let's give let's give a little plug to our, our buddy Jarrett Coral, who has been so wonderful and who, by the way, tried to help us during that Mick Collins interview. Anyway, uh, that's really cool. Everybody check that out on Jet Plastic Recordings, and that would be Troy Gregory of the Dirt Bombs. Yeah, and uh, support Jet Plastic Recordings. Yeah, they're, yeah he's good people. And uh... when I reflect on that fact. Well, that was a loosey-goosey smell effect, Paul. Yeah. James, tell me all about the Whorehound Tour. I will, please. Uh, but I'm not going to tell you all about it. Let's do it. So, uh, to give a little background into Dead Weather, uh, if you didn't listen to episode 11 uh, all about Whorehound and learn how the band was formed, the, the band came together during the and Tours 2008 Consolers of the Lonely Tour was concluding. The Kills, featuring Alison Mosshart, was opening 
for the raconteurs. And during the tour, Jack White had hurt his back and contracted bronchitis, which... He had a slip disc, right? Or something yes, like that. I believe so. And uh, so he tapped Allison to sing some of the lead vocals during the band's final tour dates. Yeah, she had to hit the high notes, right, during things like Steady As She Goes and whatnot. Yeah. At the end of the tour, they were all in Nashville and decided to have a jam session uh, to do a single, basically. They they thought... Yeah, yeah, Jack had just opened a studio in Nashville, Mm -hmm. and this was like the trial run, right? He had just put together a drum kit for the Alicia Keys tour that never was... So he had this kit laying around, and he had this brand new studio, and all of his buddies, who he was just on tour with, because Dean Fertitta was an unofficial tour, right? And it was just, they were all hanging out, and it just happened. You want to talk kismet? This is kismet for days. There, James, that made perfect sense. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Could you send someone down to keep an eye on a Mr. Uh, kismet and his uh, uh, nephew? Uh, it's Kermit, actually. Uh, they're, they're two green gentlemen. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, uh, so because Jack had the, the, the hurt back and the uh, hurt voice, Allison stood up front in this single, and she was up front singing uh, while he sat down and played the drums, and uh, and the dead weather was born. They did uh, a few covers, they did a few jams, uh, That most of Whorehound turned out to be either jams or covers, yeah. and then, right, there was a second session later on where they went back in and refined a few things, but mostly... It was formed on that day. Yes. Right? Uh, so they came together for that single and decide- and kept playing and loved what was happening and wound up recording an entire album within two weeks. Super quick under Jack's standards. Uh, in fact, he even says in an interview, I-, I don't have the exact quote here, so I'm going to paraphrase, but he said, like, if any big label ever comes to me and says this, an album will take six months to put out, he'll say bullshit. Uh, I put out an album in three weeks because after mixing, he was able to finish off an album real quick. And Third Man was very fresh. The equipment alone, very fresh. But, you know, his his operation was up and running. He had he had, had a couple releases in conjunction with other labels. Uh, you know, Third Man being the boutique label that he had set up when he got his big Warner Brothers contract. So this really, this Whorehound album was the formal kickoff to a release of a record purely on Third Man because some Icky Thump was Warner Brothers all the way, similar deal with uh, Consolers, and this was Jack's time to shine. It It was time for him to show what his label was truly capable of. Yes, this is via the Brooklyn Vegan. The band's debut album, Whorehound, the first record to be recorded and released via Jack White's new third band studios and record label in Nashville, Tennessee, will be made available through third man Warner Brothers Records on July 14, 2009. Uh, to date, the Dead Weather have released two tracks via iTunes. The weather came together. Oh, that's, that's, that's a fun little <laughs> rhyme that I came up with there. All of these people are putting the energy that they have, uh, their creative energy, solely on the Dead Weather. So... Mm-hmm. All of their other projects, which they all have, are involved in other projects and other bands, are, are kind of slowing to a halt. And Jack's putting all his energy on it, too. And Jack's a busy guy, as you know. To quote Jack White in Clash magazine, So there's an energy to this that wouldn't have happened if we'd done, for example, a third Tours album at that time. 
the energy will mm. come back maybe next year for a third record, but we're inspired <laughs> because we haven't really written songs together. If you change the tours into Guar on a third album, I don't think people would <laughs> buy that. <laughs> some some guy last night in Detroit said that the tours seem more like a supergroup, but this feels more like an art project, offers Jack Lawrence. Uh, says Jack White, have him killed. <laughs> Well, let's, I mean, let's just quickly detail the other projects. Did you? Uh, yeah, we should detail these other projects, and I have, Paul. So the White Stripes, Jack White's uh, first love, I would say, is currently mm-hmm. on hiatus. He put them on hiatus uh, f- after Icky Th- the Icky Thump Tour. They are still a thing at this point. Yeah, let's not forget the Icky Thump Tour abruptly ended because of Meg's acute anxiety problems, mm-hmm. and that is... 2007, so that is two years difference. Yep. And, and for all anybody knows, the White Stripes are still a thing. Oh, he's saying, and they still have. He's saying it. He's like, we're gonna be doing a new album, right? And he say, and he wasn't lying either, because Under Great White Northern Lights was about to come out. But the the White Stripes are still a thing. They are. They have product in the in the hole, ready to go. At this time, to give you some context into what was happening in Meg's life during the dead weather, she is engaged to guitarist Jackson Smith at this point, the son of Patty Smith and Fred Smith to be married. Well, uh, good for Meg. Yes. The Rack and Tours, Jack's uh, second band. Jack's second post-fame band. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So the Tours, uh, obviously, were the catalyst to the Dead Weather starting, and so they just finished their their tour with the second album, Consolers of the Lonely. So they had pretty good success with their first album, they had some good success with their second album and their second tour. So they're, they're kind of stopped for the moment, but they had just finished. Uh, would it be fair to say that the mixed reaction to Consolers of the Lonely perhaps was inspiring Jack to look creatively in other directions because and the reason I say this is if he had another home run out of the park runaway hit with a song from Consolers which he didn't would the dead weather not have happened would it just have been another Tours record I don't think so I think that the Tours. Uh, Consolers of the Lonely was exactly where Jack wanted to go and exactly where Jack wanted to be. And you know what? I would but argue. But the commercial success wasn't I there. I would argue that the Dead Weather is a direct succession from that because you know what the Dead Weather is? Is the Raconteurs minus Brandon Benson and Patrick Keeler. Like, it's it's got two yeah. Raconteurs in It's everyone who was in it's the It's got three Raconteurs yeah. in it. <laughs> so, like, at that point, it's. It's pretty much just the raconteurs doing another thing. Like, uh, so it's Jack leaning into the not being a chart topper. Yeah, he wants because because there's no way these jam sessions were gonna be number one hits, you know. And the the consoler stuff, the consoler stuff eventually turn like you can see where it goes because it turns into his solo stuff. Like his his solo stuff yeah. feels more like consolers than it feels like. Uh, broken boy soldiers so like i Sorry, feel no. like that's just where he's going he's not that yeah he, yeah that's a very interesting comparison to draw james i've never done that before but consolers and blunderbuss are kind of sister albums in a way yeah. i would argue lazaretto breaks that but Lazar- consolers yeah. and blunderbuss very very similar i i never really thought of it in those terms I they're also sort of both lower on my personal 
See, personally, consolers <laughs> is very high. That's like I like I like them both. It's like my you know? second just, favorite album, Paul. So we are going to I argue like, till the uh, cows come home about consolers. I, there's no argument. I like the album. I can't the wait. Stones will shout. Paul. <laughs> I can't wait till we do that album analysis because I really I want to know more about Consolers of the Lonely. Mm-hmm. My retention level for your Whorehound analysis and review is weirdly high. Like I think I was dying to know more about that in the same way I'm dying to know about Consolers of the Lonely. That uh, that episode's re- research and this episode's research it makes me love the the dead weather just way more than i ever have before on the surface they're just like a gothy sort of whatever but then the the instant you dig deeper and especially when you see them live even recently on the live at the mayan dvd that came out in the vault you see this group just breaking every rule like none of this should be working jack white is the drummer and there's (laughs) Who's that? And I don't know. Dean Fertitta is just standing there. What's he doing? None of it should be worth There's this weird, like, goth thing, and you're like, I, I don't like goth. And yet, I was very compelled by it. You know? It works. Uh, the tour is definitely darker and theatrical. Yeah. I think we've went over this before. But, uh, yeah, it's it's got a thing that I don't think either of us are into on on the surface. And yet, the more I dig the more I love and I don't know it's it's something it's something neat Queens of the Stone Age Dean Fertina's band uh is taking a hiatus for their members to concentrate on other projects all of their members are doing other things at this point the the Wax Wings which is Jack Lawrence and Dean Fertita's band uh mm. from the past they've they've stopped uh, also the Greenhorns had taken a break with Jack Lawrence in it the Kills who are who are still playing shows on their Midnight Boom tour. They were taking a small break for the next year, but they were still touring and still playing shows, even during this tour. Uh, and in fact, I have some, some interviews and stuff with Allison Mossart uh, via Clash Magazine. They say, does this mean that all of your other bands are on hold at the minute? And Allison says, yeah, for the summer. I just finished a tour with The Kills, which lasted forever. I just got off that tour, so I'm just going to take a little break, at least for a few months. Talking about The Kills' future, Allison says, Jamie's listening to a lot of really old reggae music, and I'm sure touring with The Dead Weather is going to give me some new ideas, too. Hmm. So the bands are all kind of put on hold, with the limited exception of The Kills, which we'll see pop up every now and then Mm -hmm. during the Dead Weather tour. Uh, so let's start with the with the live with the live appearances. Dead Weather start start their live shows uh, starting March 11th. They do the Nashville show at Third Man Records, the first show ever to announce their record and to promote their single, which is Hanging from the Heavens, backed with our friends Electric. And uh, we talk about this in at, at length in the Whorehound episode. But uh, to recap, they let about 150 press people in to listen to this record they basically sit on a couch and play the record for them then they get up on stage and they play uh, about four or five songs that's right yeah to promote these hand-painted singles which people were still getting used to the idea of vinyl in their hands again in fact jack white says uh, that he handed out the the records in white sleeves and they were sealed and people were too afraid to cut into them and he said damn it they're they're made to listen to they're not made to, <laughs> not made to hold 
Yeah, with limited uh, editions of, of vinyl and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Why is vinyl so important? Uh, it's just one way to get people to remember that uh, music is important, you know, and it's beautiful and romantic at the same time. And the idea of going to a record store and picking out a record and holding it in your hands and playing it on a turntable, I don't think should ever be lost. It's as, it's as important as go, sitting in a movie theater and watching a movie uh, or going to a museum and seeing a painting. Uh, there's some things that aren't, it's not good enough to see the digital re- reproduction of them. And uh, I, I'm going to do everything I can to support that, you know. It's a um, uh, it's a weird time because vinyl is starting to become relevant again. I know around this time, uh, maybe a little bit after, is where I got my first record player. You know, record players were starting to seep into the public consciousness again. I know. I think you were a little ahead of me when it comes to that stuff, but yeah, I started in two thousand and seven is when I started collecting. Yeah, so I I mean I wasn't collecting until twenty four. 2015 but i actually started listening to records actively around this time and it's a it's a weird time to do it jack i think was pulling maybe a little from the old italy records days in doing the hand touch stuff on 45s because obviously the first few stripes records on italy were handmade you know i mean they were literally made with the hands of jack meg and dave buick so all the members made their own and it's it's an interesting little hand-painted piece if you ever get one yeah hard hard to come by and uh it's just a funny funny time in music history and jack white history that 2009 and i also wanted to point out it's a weird album and group to lead off with on third man you know it would have made all the sense in the universe for a new White Stripes album to kick off Third Man Records or for a Jack White solo album to kick off Third Man Records. But we were just getting used to the tours as a second group Jack was in. Suddenly he introduces this third group and surprise, they're the thing that kicks off his record label. It's a strange thing to do. It kind of goes against type in a lot of ways. I do wonder if perhaps there were some label complications with contracts. Maybe there was a time limit that he mm. could release something with or or whatnot. Possible. Um, that's purely speculation and rumor. Don't pay any attention to that <laughs> if you're looking for historical fact. That yeah. is me purely guessing. But yeah, the show went well. They, they announced that they were uh, releasing an album. They announced that they were planning on touring. And each contributor to the Dead Weather committed to a summer's worth of of touring in support of this future album that would become Whorehound. Uh, it would gain its its name and, and artwork and all that stuff mid tour, actually. Yeah, it's it's and it's not like I mean the only one it wasn't a huge risk for was Jack Lawrence, but you know if Queens of the Stone Age started kicking up again or the Kills, you know that's a significant financial risk. They're dedicating time to this group that they're trusting the Jack White fan base will carry them through. And I have to believe that they made the right decision because the only reason I know who the kills are really, I mean, I knew of them a little bit, but like them, Queens of the Stone Age, it's a lot of that is on Jack White. So his star is still very relevant in 2009 and vital. It's not like it is today when he's starting to seep into nostalgia territory I think he's still yep. a vital performer in 2009. Not, not, not that he's not vital today, but extremely relevant. Yes. He's unfortunately the one who is drawing most of the crowd in with, with any of these shows. But yeah. 
Uh, and but what what you'll see is people come for that and leave with a different mm-hmm. experience entirely, and a different feeling for what for what his music is becoming. Um, so April fourteenth is their first public appearance live show, and it's at the New York City Bowery Ballroom. Mm-hmm. I think me and you, Paul, are both familiar with the Bowery. New York Times reviewed this gig. Uh, they said at fir- at the first public appearance of a fledgling band <laughs> fledgling. called Dead Weather at the Bowering Ballroom. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, on Tuesday night, all four members dressed in dark clothes. They made infernal blues <laughs> language with big drums and vocal whines and used beautiful Gretsch guitars and keyboards to create noises like woofs and air horn blares. It was like an hour of unease with jumbo gestures, like discarded ideas from Led Zeppelin's first album. Nobody on stage looked very happy. The The band was good-looking and good-sounding, perfectly acceptable, and a bit inert. I, uh... Of Jack Jack White, they said, he seemed like he was underplaying something, his importance to the band, possibly. So this is that, what what we were just saying. People came looking for Jack White to be the front man, and they're like, why is he back there? I, uh... Why is he not selling himself? And me and you and Mike, we all came up with the same, the same thing. We're like, Jack's all the way back there. Oh, he, he must not want to be in the spotlight, I guess. We, uh, we, I'm, I'm editing the episode 65 right now um and we talk about this a little bit in episode 65 with ryan brady where we talk about how the dead weather is sort of his attempt to step back from the spotlight because allison Mm. can inhabit that spotlight yes but the spotlight can't help but find its way to him it just can't yeah he's he's back there freaking out on the drums (laughs) The same way he freaks out on guitar, and if they and they were at least a little aware that people were there to see him freak out on guitar because they give him a guitar at some point, and which brings me to uh, another uh, my next part of this of this New York Times review. At the end of the concert, he stood up. Mr. Lawrence sat behind the drums. That's right, and Mr. White picked up one of the guitars to play and sing Will There Be Enough Water, the album's final slow, doubt-ridden song, and in the middle, he did his thing, a short, drilling, staccato guitar solo Mm -hmm. with hyper vibrato. Man, they are really pouring it on. We've heard Uh, shouts, screeches, freakouts. Hyper hyper bravado is a new one. I kind of like it, though. It was a complete gesture, an unapologetic flourish, and a relief. James, I want to disagree. I want to say to you right now and believe it that I don't like that review, but I kind of I kind of know where they're coming <laughs> from. You know, I Oh yeah, we we knew exactly where they're yeah, coming from. Yeah, I was waiting for that like everybody else. Who uh, yeah. and you know what? I I was waiting for that in in on the Broken Boy Soldiers tour. When I went to go see Broken yeah. Boy Soldiers, I was waiting for for this weird blonde-haired flannel wear to to stop for a minute <laughs> so I could see Jack White. You wanted that hyper vibrato, Paul. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's true. It's true. It's why I was there. But much like the uh, White Stripes gimmick being the thing you have to break through before the music hits you, I think the Dead Weather had a similar thing going. They had this goth gimmick that you had to wade through before the music actually hit you. And once it did, it hit me... It hit me in all the right spots. Will there be 
I think it shines through a little more clearly in a track like Cut Like a Buffalo, yeah. um, where the blues is a little more overt and it's a little more accessible in a lot of ways. Like us, most people were there who were who were at this show uh, had only heard the single, which was Hanging From The Heavens. They weren't super engaged in all of the music yet mm-hmm. because they, they didn't have it memorized. They didn't, you know, listen to it or even hear it at all and jack white actually comments on this in in that clash article uh it's strange because people just want to kind of like take it all in because it's so new i mean i know if it was a brand new band i would be kind of like because you don't know the songs you're just kind of like absorbing it all it's going to take a second before we actually understand the reactions like for example when we played new york which is this show people had heard the single and when we played the single, it was a bigger reaction because that's the one they knew. But you can't really judge it by that. So people are still trying to wrap their heads around the dead way. Yeah, let's all think back to a time when Jack wasn't playing old White Stripes songs. This and Sea of Cowards are the last two tours before he starts digging into the vault. He's playing yeah. all new material for these. That's that's big. And he, and you know what? He's known for that. I kind of miss those days in a way where he's just playing the new material. Or covers that we've never heard or cov- of. Yeah, or covers that we, or esoteric covers that Meg liked that <laughs> Monday or whatever. <laughs> it's a special time. I, I, I'll always think back very fondly of this tour because, you know, we were all, a little older. I was out of college. You were, you were, you were in college. So it was different for you, but. Mike and I were both out of school, and this music that we liked was still this new thing. You know, Jack was in his yeah, you know, mid to late thirties, but still pretty relevant. And, and even if we had heard the album, Paul, he was he was pulling out B sides already that weren't out on albums, uh, such as Outside and You Just Can't Win at this oh, first show. Yeah. Oh, You Just Can't Win is at that first show. I was going to say if he plays uh, Child of a Few Hours is Burning to Death, he does. At most of these shows, yeah. even in the beginning, he's playing that, and people are like, why is he pulling out this uh, <laughs> super, super weird 60s band? Um, sidebar, I um, I picked up the Cut Like a Buffalo single this weekend at Amoeba, because I've, I've never owned it, and it was on sale for like four bucks, so I said, what the hell? And yeah. it was, it's, it's Cut Like a Buffalo Side A, amazing Side A. Mm-hmm. Side B... Child of a Few Hours is Burning to Death. Yeah, studio version. Damn. If that's not one of the best Jack White singles ever released. Very good. That's a good si- That's good. a good single. And it's a, like a long play out, too. It's like five and a half minutes of just them like having a great time. The, the Dead Weather is a glorified jam band, and the more I listen to it, the more I love it. Uh, very good single. It's weird to see them prepping for these singles this far in advance Mm -hmm. april 22nd a few uh weeks later allison mosshart plays with the kills so she's still touring with the kills even after all this uh she's playing the fox theater in boulder colorado Hey, 
Hospitalized for a combo of cold and altitude sickness. She goes to the hospital oh and has to cut the show short. Jeez. Apparently, she encountered a shortness of breath and was taken to the hospital oh and released after a brief, brief stint in observation. Uh, and then she continues touring uh, with Jamie through April and May. So the kills then, after this New York show with the dead weather, uh, continue on through, through April and May. Quote, Allison Mossart, I'm just wrapping up a tour with The Kills, and then I'll be back with The Dead Weather for the release of the album and tour. It's a really great group of people to work with, and I can't wait for everyone to hear the album. And she's front and center on this thing. I mean, she's on the Mm -hmm. cover. She is vocalist on most of the tracks. She is very visible in The Dead Weather. Yes. So The Dead Weather have revealed their tour dates for a full-scale North American summer tour along with tour dates for a European tour. Kicks off on July 13th in Washington, D.C. After some one-off shows in Louisville, Kentucky, London, and Paris, the one-off shows were likely scheduled for when the album was originally going to be coming out. The album was originally supposed to come out on June 9th of 2009, but it was pushed back to July 13th in Europe and July 14th in North America. So the tour one-off shows start June 11th, which is after the original <laughs> day it was supposed to be. And the official tour starts on July 13th, which is when yeah. the official release is pushed happen. back yeah. until. So the days leading up to that were probably because of that and and scheduled before do we know why the delay i wonder if it's complications because of third man putting it out i don't know callie (laughs) please or future us (laughs) future us we think we smell a fact maybe (laughs) Uh, maybe next week all right two weeks from now so the band starts its u.s tour on july 13th in washington dc and it will spend the rest of july and august on the road playing clubs on this outing despite the fact that Jack could draw in stadiums at this mm-hmm. point. Jack White says, It's good to pay your dues a little bit with this band. We would never be so presumptuous to do something like move to Nashville and try to book our first gig at the Ryman Auditorium. The next live show they play is June 11th. They play the Coyotes in Louisville, Kentucky. It's the first show of the tour, quote-unquote, sort of. I found a, a blog online that somebody had went to this show his name is Jeremy Ritchie. He's from the Moon in the Gutter blog. Mm. He says, Moss Hart, currently performing under the absolutely fitting stage name of Baby Ruthless. <laughs> they said that they were playing at a, quote, a shitty sports bar with bad sound, mm. no air conditioning, and no organization to speak of. <laughs> he says, quote, it wasn't a surprise that several fistfights broke out during the show. Oddly, the oppressive and quite miserable feeling added to the intense and dark chaos the dead weather presented on stage mm-hmm. and he also says it will be interesting to see how long they will last and what kind of acceptance or non-acceptance they will get in this unbelievably sanitized music world we currently find ourselves in mm. so i found that an interesting review of of the show i mean that person because... is also seeing it completely fresh just Mm-hmm. Not even able to digest the album for a moment. Uh, we had, according to your research, three days to digest. <laughs> but yeah. 
this person is hearing it all for the first time. I've only experienced hearing an album for the first time live once, and that was uh, the first time I saw the the uh, St. Vincent Mass Seduction tour. But uh, people who were at the that cavern performance in in Nashville got to hear Margot's first album live for the first time. There's something magical about that. And it must have been a really cool, very baffling experience because I don't know what I would have made of Whorehound if I had just heard it <laughs> live for the first time. Maybe I would have liked it more for all I know. I don't know. I mean, for the most part, we did hear it pretty fresh, so I don't know. Yeah, um, we heard it pretty fresh. I, we, were bo- we were both baffled, yeah, we were I think. Both baffled. Safe to say. Mike, maybe more than us. But. <laughs> So from there, we move on to June 12th, an unannounced show at the Magic Stick in Detroit, oh, Michigan. Cool. Jack White dropped a surprise show at the Magic Stick. Unclear, by the way, if this if it was this show or the Sea of Cowards show at the Magic Stick where he met Olivia Jean for the first time. Likely the, if, likely the Sea of Cowards show. If I'm going based off of what this is like uh it's probably the sea of cowards tour because this one was announced the day before uh, and rumors began circulating online a few days before the band actually officially announced that this show was happening pretty much the day before Mm. likely if olivia was planning on circulating some stuff to get to jack white she may have been doing it at a pre-announced show which would have been likely the sea of cowards tour yeah now we don't know for sure but yeah, when Olivia yeah, comes on the show, we'll ask her. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Miss Jean. <laughs> yeah, hit us up. It's fine. The show was $20 cash at the venue only. You couldn't get it online. And the the show opener for that was the Cut in the Hill Gang. Mm. They had announced two more shows within the next week, taking place at the Horseshoe Tavern in Toronto on June 13th and at the Roxy in Los Angeles, California Mm. on June 17th. Was the Roxy announced? Um, That was one of the – that was an announced The Roxy was – it was announced later. It was not a part of their original – few gig tour and the the horseshoe tavern was was announced as well Mm. the the band was actually held up at customs the morning of the toronto show uh, and they they did a an interview with the toronto star that morning Mm. uh via the toronto star they were held up quote 
by a pack of 100 naked cyclists rode past them on Bloor <laughs> as they arrived at their hotel, <laughs> adding a fresh layer of confusion to the whole thing. Wow. I thought that maybe Jack- um, Dracula's three brides didn't have their passports. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly right. <laughs> their three brides, by the way, uh, if you're unfamiliar, show up on Jack's drum kit. Mm-hmm. When they were interviewed by the star, they the star said, uh, quote, singer Allison Mosshart admitted to a devastating hangover upon entering the room. <laughs> Jack White remains hidden behind aviator shades for the duration of the interview, yep. and guitarist Dean Fertitta and bassist Jack Lawrence look haggard and dazed respectively haggard and dazed wow uh, the show that they played in toronto at the horseshoe tavern in ontario it uh, it it seemed to go fine i guess i didn't, <laughs> I didn't actually <laughs> They were slated to play the Roxy after that in Los Angeles, which was on June 17th at the Roxy in West Hollywood, California. Paul, I don't know if you've ever been there. I, have I know not. you live close by. Yeah, I have not. Shall we see? Shall we see, James, who the upcoming acts at the Roxy Theater in West Hollywood are? Imagine Dragons is the only <laughs> thing I'm assuming is playing there. Maybe Lady Gaga. Lady could be Lady Gaga or uh, the Man of the Woods. That'd be Justin Timberlake, James. Is Shirt playing there? Oh man, I don't know any of these people. All right. I think this just shows the level that they're competing at here because I know none of these people. Well, Marty Grimes, the Cold Pizza Tour. Yeah, you know Marty Grimes and his pizza. He's got pepperoni. He's got sausage. Uh, we have warm brew icon for hire. G. Perico, Crooked Colors, Galactic Empire, Danger, the Blasters. I, I don't know any of these. Um, so yeah, I guess I'm, it's smaller. I'm assuming groups. that a lot of those are DJs or of some techno variety because yeah. Paul, the same day mm-hmm. on june 17th directly after the dead weather show the roxy had headlining not one not two not three but four separate dubstep djs Whoa. playing directly afterwards Damn. so you had all these people lining up for jack white's weird gothy dead weather and then <laughs> directly behind them were all of these weird skrillex fans say that james
uh, via the Sunset Strip magazine about that uh, West Hollywood show. On the night of the show, everyone who knew anyone was crowded outside the club, frantically making phone calls, looking for an in, quote, in fact, many of the club's staff members were reluctant to show their faces outside the club for fear of being guilted by friends and acquaintances waiting outside. This sort of hiding being the marker for any exclusive event worth attending. Oof. So this was a big, big news in Hollywood, apparently. Good. To see Jack. Yeah, good. Because that's why a lot of people were there, was to see Jack. Yeah. To, to quote the Sunset Strip again, the sexiest and most intense <laughs> moment of the night came midway through the set with a duet between White and Mosshart. The crowd was on edge as barely a glimmer of light passed between the two singers' lips as they traded off vocals and exchanged passionate glares, a kind of electric tension where you didn't know whether they'd want to fight or both. Do you remember this, James? We saw this. I remember it very clearly, and we explained it again. They look like they're gonna mm-hmm. just start making out, making out yep. at that microphone. I mean, it's, it's an act, uh, obviously. The song but... specifically, uh, Will There Be Enough Water, and and they are millimeters apart mm-hmm. while they're singing. I know Callie has said that the, the Jack and Allison's dynamic in the Dead Weather is more of a sibling-like rivalry Mm-mm. kind of deal. Mm-mm-mm. This song specifically mm. seems a little bit, let's say, sexually tense. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I know we're talking about the Whorehound tour here and not the Sea of Cowards tour, but it was on the Sea of Cowards tour that I felt the most like I was ever at a white person orgy. The nature of the beat of the music and the tempo and the key and the presentation lend itself to this provocative display that must have shocked the hell out of all the straights in West Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a thing that'll become prevalent during every show on this tour, specifically that number and that act that they put on during that number. Mm -hmm. In attendance at the show, Jimmy Page of of Led Zeppelin, It Might Get Loud, had had come out the year prior, along with uh, Josh Holm of Queens of the Stone Age, Dean Fertitta's bandmate. Danger Mouse was there. Um, Jack White collaborator, Danger Mouse. Boom Bip. Not sure who that is, but he was there, apparently. Harmar Superstar and actor Benicio Del Toro (laughs) were all in attendance. Benicio's like, kiss her. No, don't kiss her. (laughs) Uh, so right from there, again in L.A., they stay in Los Angeles. June 18th, they play The Tonight Show with Conan O'Brien. Old buddies. Uh, Jack and Conan. Old buddies. And at this point, Conan is hosting The Tonight Show, which not for much longer. He only had it for a year. They played uh, Hangy from the Heavens on that show. Other guests on that night were Eva Mendez and Christopher Mintz Place. Hmm. From there, June 22nd, they fly all the way to London, England to play From the Basement Live, which is Radiohead producer Nigel Godrich's series that he produces. Nigel Godrich making waves in the music world three or four years prior to that by producing Paul McCartney's album Chaos and Creation in the Backyard and playing a lovely, what do you call them, (laughs) wine glasses when he does the... You know, when they you put your finger on wine glasses, he does that on that record. Really? Yeah. Neat. I had no idea. That's why Chaos and Creation sounds so awesome. But the, the Dead Weather play his, his show, From the Basement Live, broadcast live across four independent record stores at Rough Trade in London, Piccadilly Records in Manchester, Avalanche Records in Glasgow, and Rounder Records in Brighton. Yeah. Jack's still very um, popular in Great Britain. Yes. A lot of his... 
We saw a lot of those garage rock acts really take off in Great Britain, but uh, you know Jack in particular really made an impression over there, uh, due in no small part to John Peel, who was his champion, yeah. and who was sadly deceased by the time this album came out. You're so far from your weapon and the place you were born. There's a bullet in my pocket burning a home. You're so far from your weapon and you want to go Speaking about this event, Godrich told NME.com, obviously Jack and Allison are amazing performers. I've not actually seen the band play live yet, but I think they're going to do a great show. We did the White Stripes for the pilot for the first show, and it was incredible. Jack has always been supportive of the series because he gets it completely. Via the blog Antiquiet, quote, they played four songs, maybe five. Uh, My point is that it was too quick. And they left me wanting more, <laughs> which I'm which I'm beginning to think was maybe the point, since their album won't see release until July 14th or 13th in the year in Europe. Accidentally, yeah. One sure thing I pulled from the experience is that the dead weather is way heavier than most of the Jack White library of music, yeah. which is true. Yes, I would um, agree with that assessment. The show was also streamed to mobile devices, specifically Nokia N97. Mm-hmm. Because it was a time when Nokia was the big thing. Yeah, Jack Jack uh, does, I mean, even though he's famous for, you know, being anti-technology or anti-cell phone or whatever, he does try and attach himself to these things, as we've seen lately with, you know, the exclusivity to stuff like Tidal, which obviously he co-owns. But, you know, he does make the attempt, James. Hey, hey Sweat, <laughs> you give, give me more of those Nokia phones. I gotta play this snake. Have you heard this snake? Now this snake, he eats these pellets, you see, and he grows larger, Swank. <laughs> Have you heard of such a thing? We haven't, uh... Snakes growing larger. We, we haven't, uh, talked to Swank in a little while, have we? Anyway, via Clash Magazine, uh, they played in a secret bunker with no fans present during the show. <laughs> but the very next day, June 23rd, at the they play the Boston Music Room in London, England. Uh, which is an intimate club show located in Tufnell Park, London. Mm -hmm. Uh, They played a a packed crowd that included the horrors, Carl Barat, the Mighty Boosh's Julian Barat, Kimberly Stewart, and the Beastie Boys. What? Who were there as well. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) That was like a, huh? Uh, Until a...
the next day, uh, June 24th, they play the HMV Forum in London, England. I found a blogger who wrote, uh, it was definitely a young goth crowd, <laughs> uh, which fits the, the aesthetic. Yeah. Uh, they say, it was fun to people watch during mm-hmm. there. Apparently, Jamie Hintz was at the show. Uh, of Jamie of the Kills. Uh, Allison of the kills, yes. James, I, I would like to interrupt for just a moment to say we people watched when we saw the Whorehound tour because mm-hmm. that was the first time I can recall, and I know we'll talk about it a little more when we get there, but that was the first time I could remember going, is he cosplaying Jack White? Is Jack White? Yeah, yeah, we took a picture of the guy. Yeah, we took a picture of the guy. Yeah, and we're um, posting it to our Facebook page, so check that out. Yes, we are. Uh, Via the Guardian magazine They reviewed the show They said quote I don't know why Jack White has has called his latest band The Dead Weather If the whimsical references that litter The albums and song titles of both of his best known group uh, The White Stripes And side project The Raconteurs Are anything to go by It's probably inspired by the American postal system Or the power of the number three Or something equally clever and obscure But the name feels curiously apt as the dead weather take the stage. Oh, dear. Uh, they, they say there are lighter moments when White finally ventures out from behind the drums, looking very fine in a black top. That is superhero costume tight. Very tight shirt. For So Far From Your Weapon, he introduces the band members to the crowd, including, quote, and on rectangular guitar, Allison Mosshart, <laughs> referencing the instrument she strums, which looks like it has been borrowed from Bo Diddley. She's strumming a... a re- rectangular guitar the thing i remember most of this guitar is it has a phone cord like cord for the plug right it's i don't recall the the guardian continues played live this new music is like being driven too fast in a rickety old car frightening and thrilling in equal measures it's a ride i'd like to take again (laughs) love these descriptions Uh, of the dead weather days later they on june 26th they do a surprise appearance at the glastonbury festival in 2009 in somerset england not a small Um, festival not a small festival at all the show was headlined by bruce springsteen that year mccartney played that thing too yeah uh they were a surprise guest obviously uh and it was jack white's fifth appearance at the glastonbury festival he had appeared as the raconteurs the previous year as well as being a guest of the band the last shadow puppets the same year he also performed with the white stripes in 2002 and headlined the festival with the white stripes in 2005 yeah that makes sense that's the height of the white stripes powers according to the bbc about this uh one of the worst kept secrets in somerset was the dead weather's appearance at the emily evis curated park on friday tea time 
Jack White is somewhat of a Glasto aficionado now, having visited before the White Stripes and the Rackanto- with the Raconteurs. Ugh, Glasto. Um, I, I despise yeah. that. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Glasto. Yes, we were at Glasto. What were we doing? Yeah, we were at Glasto, Paul. Okay. To keep quoting the BBC, looking deathly cool, all in black, the Deadweather's shrouded appearance immediately confirmed two things. One, Jack is a far superior drummer to Meg. Oof. Uh, and two, <laughs> the kills Allison Mosshart clearly worships the ground he walks on again. Woof. Jeez. Oh, Louise, BBC. What is with Jesus. you? Jesus. Jesus Crow, BBC. They, they also say, with the pair looking longingly into each other's eyes and their record whorehound not out yet, the crowd's reaction was just looking up james when we did the research for the jack white hits episode the greatest hits hang you up from the heavens was released in march that had hit the u.s billboard hot singles charts at number eight which is good it's not the hot 100 but it measures sales treat me like your mother wasn't released until september so hang you up from the heavens was really the main thing until cut like a buffalo came out in in the sort of middle ground there and hang you up from the heavens didn't do a whole lot in britain even though britain loves him it's still somewhat perplexing until that album comes out yep 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 this is also coming in and and i've said this before uh this is coming in the age of youtube YouTube is very popular at this point so people are starting to get a trickle of what the dead weather sounds like i know at this point even i after we had seen the show uploaded some clips from the concert yes to to youtube to a lot of views even though it was 30 seconds shakily shot mm-hmm. of jack lawrence's crotch you know it's still yeah got like a thousand views for some reason it's a nice crotch i uh i i'm still pulling from stuff like that for our show but yeah me too me too as you've noticed here in this show i mean even the the raconteurs tour episode i had to rely on shaky cell phone footage like early cell phone footage for some of these shows because other stuff just doesn't exist outside of Jack's vault. So when he gets all pissy about people bringing phones to shows, it's because he's trying to release (laughs) that shit later. And the only footage that's available of it is through shaky cell phone cameras. 
Yeah, yeah, but he's he's started to mitigate that. Yeah, I mean, not to get sucked into that argument again, I don't even necessarily disagree with him. I'm just saying it's handy to have the cell phone footage is what I'm saying. To, to get back on topic, the next show is uh, June 29th in uh, La Cigale, Paris, France. La Cigale seems to translate to the cicada in French, it seems. But to get reviews of this show, I had to go to French blogs and have them poorly translated by Google. (laughs) So so please, bear with me, whoever wrote this actual review. Google poorly translated your blog review of the show. But Paul, let me go into this this review, Paul. It's fantastic. I I love what Google did to it. Dean chopped his white falcon, starts the first chords of the very good 60 feet tall, and magic <laughs> opery finished the bad language. <laughs> oh, God. The band was there musically. The organ and Dean riffs. Jack provides more than I imagined with his drums. Jesus, although it sounds I, like you're talking in Esperanto. Uh, although I sometimes noticed... That he looked for his toms, uh, which is actually a, an interesting thing to, to note about uh, the dead weather is Jack's not used to necessarily playing with his drum kit on stage always. So him looking for his toms on, on his kit, kind of interesting. Yeah, you sound like Bizarro's uncle. He put his kit together for a variety of reasons. He has his toms laid out in a certain way so that he has freedom of movement, but he also likes the flat look of the drum kit. So while a lot of drummers have their kits kind of stacked, Jack kind of was into the idea of the audience being able to see him. A lot of his layout is specifically designed, not necessarily for sound, but for presentation, which which lends itself to why he's got to jump around to the different areas of the kit and, you know, Use them the way he does. Exactly. To continue with this poorly translated view. Of course, the zenith of the concert is when Jack takes his Billy Gibbons to play, finally, an effective blues rock. (laughs) Captivating. Magic. Allison and he sing in the same microphone for a sexy moment. Oh, dear. (laughs) So even, even in French... There are 78 different words for sexy in the French language, and yet all of them translated to those two on that microphone. Google still found the way to translate it to that. Yep. Good old Google. When I say I say will there be enough will?
that moves on to June 30th at Canal Plus Studios in Paris, France. Uh, this is the one that was recorded, right? Yes, it's a it's a small show at a, a French film studio. Canal Plus is is well known for being a partner with Universal Films and a whole bunch of other things. It was uh, it yeah. was filmed, and that this same, is a great great concert video. By the way, that check this very out. same blogger was in attendance at this show, Paul. Oh my and god! Just as poorly translated. Let's get him on the show. James, let's find him. Let's get him on the show. <laughs> he actually uh, won tickets to it from whitestripes.fr, which is the, the French White Stripes website, through a contest. And uh, t- the only the only quote I really pulled from this particular blog for this was, uh, quote, The atmosphere is much more pleasant than La Cigale. So the concert, even if it was no atmosphere, is much more fresh, is the word. <laughs> Oh, so funny, young. You know what the French call les incompetents? What? Sont les vents qui m'ont trivé ensemble? Les quoi? James, where's my seltzer water? Right from there, we will move to uh, Allison Mossart actually plays with the kills again at this point. <laughs> because Jamie Hintz is around. He's, Jamie Hintz is around. He's in France. They uh, The kills with Allison Mossart, they play on July 3rd at – oh, I'm going to butcher this name. I'm sorry. It's a festival. It's the Euro Kekkenness. Yeah, Kekkenness. Euro Kekkenness. Eurocans de Belfort <laughs> in 2009. Uh-huh. So it's a festival. It's in France. Allison's in full dead weather mode, which I find kind of funny. Like, she's in the same flannel that we saw her in Yeah, with the kills. Like, she's in this blue flannel shirt that we saw her in with, with Jamie Hintz. That That's just to show that, you know, the kills are still finishing up their touring <laughs> regiment during this. <laughs> All right, so uh, moving on, July 10th at Third Man Records in Nashville, Tennessee, they perform live and record it to NPR. I was going to say, uh, is this was this the one that was released on iTunes? This it was, yeah. This is yeah. this is the one that NPR recorded and, and released as well. And on the same day, they they do an interview with Clash, uh, which I've been pulling from this whole time. To quote Clash, "Do the songs take on a new lease of life when you play them on stage?" Uh, Allison says, "I guess in a way, performing is a strange thing. I always love that line between you and everyone else. There's so much adrenaline and there's so much to get away with. 
and you do anything that you want to. There's no rules anymore. I have to do that. But I guess those songs do change. Sometimes they mean totally different things to me on different stages in front of different people in different rooms. When referring to Jack White's drumming and singing being a challenge, to which Jack White says, well, we've been doing all right. I think the hard part is backup vocals and how we approach it, how much we want it to sound like it was recorded and how much we want it to change now. So Clash says, so it's a total afterthought. And Jack says, yeah, that's the tough part, you know. I used to do that in the White Stripes. I wouldn't use an effect on a guitar because I didn't want to have to take that effect pedal with me everywhere I go with (laughs) uh, from then on because then I'd have to use it. But then I sort of gave up by about the fifth album. It was restricting me in a different way. I was like, does it matter? No. Because mostly I wasn't loading my own equipment anymore. But we had to think back in the day, if something broke, that meant one more thing I got to find and get elsewhere. Uh, Otherwise, I can't play such and such a song. Mm -hmm. I don't have a restriction anymore. Like what Mick talked about in in our interview with him, where he had redundancies for every bit of equipment because Mm -hmm. inevitably it would break down. And it it was like the water cycle, right? It was... Something's in the shop, something's at home, something's on tour, something's in the shop, (laughs) something's at home, something's on tour. Yeah. Clash again. Uh, Do you think you can keep up your stamina having to drum so much every night? And Jack says, it gets better. It's better for me. But I wonder, it will be interesting to see how how much mileage you can put on compared to standing up performing. Clash says, you talked about expectations of your fans. Have you read any feedback or anything that's been said about you thus far? Jack says... There's a temptation to do a couple of things. There's a temptation to ignore everything, not read anything, not hear anything, and only listen to the faces and the sounds from the crowds on the stage. Or there's a temptation to go the other way and absorb every single thing you can to completely understand the perception of your band. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you lose all idea of what the perception of what you do is. It's impossible to tell. I've had backlashes before, and in the middle of a backlash, you think it's 100% against you everything is but that's not really the case because you walk around outside and people tell you completely differently they say you're playing some american tour dates now then are you coming over to europe jack says yeah we're just gonna try and get everywhere we can with the time we have we'll be over in london shortly and we're gonna try and get a european tour booked they say you're a bit late for summer festivals this year and jack says yeah and i'm glad because I'd hate to kick off a new band in festival world. It's kind of perfect that way. Just do a couple. A new band should start at the club level and do small shows. We've already done a couple that way, and we'll do more in the next few days. And And on July 13th, Whorehound is officially released in Europe, and the official beginning of the Dead Weather Whorehound Tour begins. Oh, James. I think that's a great way to leave this episode. I think so. And Paul, do you say we get, let's say we get to our third person this week. (laughs) Let's get to our third person for this week. Connor Flynn, Blackjack Davey on Twitter. How are you? I'm great. Excellent. Welcome to the show. We're really happy to have you here. Despite technological difficulties, we have connected on a human level, the three of us from three different locations. The future is now, and I'm very excited. Yes. Yeah, we we didn't choose to connect by love as Jack White would want, but we we tried. But now we're, we're connected by Skype, which is just as good. Yeah. But we're not really keen on the idea of building a corporation, are we? Well, look, who's with me? <laughs> who's with me? 
As James mentioned, your stage name, Blackjack Davey. Obviously, there's lots of Jack White connection there. You're a musician, singer-songwriter. We're thrilled to be talking to you today. We had connected over Twitter, and it was really nice to meet you and get to know your music. So, uh, yeah, again, I thank you very much for joining us. Well, I thank you very much for having this podcast. We're glad that somebody wants to listen to <laughs> yeah, it. It's, so... <laughs> it's always shocking to us, to be honest. I'm glad that somebody so wants much. to talk about such things and, you know, <laughs> emphasize such important art and culture today you are in the one of the hubs of art and culture portland oregon is that is that, <laughs> not, is that not so this is true yes i am in the land of portlandia <laughs> and we have officially kicked out fred armison so really <laughs> oh yeah they had to really put a kibosh on the show because apparently they were having a lot of complaints about you know <laughs> really? what they were doing to local establishments and particularly the woman's bookstore from season one yeah that yeah actually is a bookstore, and they got to the point where they just kicked them out completely and didn't want them ever filming at their bookstore again. And so, yeah, they kind of pushed the envelope a little, a little much, <laughs> you know, by well, season seven <laughs> of yeah. playing on stereotypes. I always felt like, though, while it was definitely stereotypical, I always felt like it was done with a certain amount of love and, oh, very and much so, yeah. kinship. I always feel like Fred Armisen is like cut from that mold and so he felt at home and so the, the making fun of it was his way of making fun of himself in a way or maybe i'm just reading into that and being an apologist oh yeah i mean him and very much so carrie brownstein as well yeah you know their humility yeah. was essential in that sure that show obviously jack showed up on which we had talked about in an episode prior but carrie brownstein the white stripes had opened for slater kinney and it was on one of their first major U.S. tours uh, of the West Coast in 2000, I believe. So lots of connective tissue there. Now, you're a Jack fan. That We'll, we'll talk about your music in a moment. Now, listening to your music, there's a lot of influence that one could glean from the Jack vein listening to it. But what got you into Jack stuff? When did you become a fan? Well, my earliest memory of the White Stripes was that appearance they had on MTV. I think it was the MTV Music Awards or Movie Awards. <laughs> it was the Movie Awards when they played on the big stairs and they had the audience dressed in red and white and they were doing the robot dance in the audience and it was a very fabricated <laughs> fabricated audience but uh, they did the thing that they did famously which was segueing between songs so they did you know like fell in love with a girl for a few seconds and then dead leaves in the dirty ground and I think I smell a rat and I was just like what is this who are these people <laughs> How are they getting away with this? What's going on? And yeah. I think that was the first thing. Then it kind of faded in the back of my memory. I moved from southern Idaho to southwest Washington. And then a son of my mother's best friend came over to the house soon after we had moved. And I was 16. He was 13. And he's like, you got to listen to this CD. It's really great. It's a band with just a drummer and a guitar player. They don't have a <laughs> bass player. And I was like, what? I think I had forgotten about the music, you know, MTV Music Awards, and it just didn't click. And yeah. he put it on, and just the raw sound of it was White Blood Cells, of course. Yeah. And yeah. that intro to Dead Leaves in the Dirty Ground from then on, you know, just having that real tight over my ears and feeling <laughs> the entire tone, that changed my life. So yeah. from then on, it was all downhill. <laughs> I much preferred Jack and Meg on the uh, very much forgotten uh, segment on Yo! MTV Raps. No, they weren't. Actually. <laughs> okay, Stop looking geez. so surprised. I was very much joking. James, you would have had me there. I really wanted them to. The $3 <laughs> hat action. It's yeah, surprising, right. though, how many fans we 
talked to, I guess it's not that many, but that Video Music Award performance did resonate. I mean, that really put him in the homes of people who were listening to popular music at that time. And not just that, but people who weren't listening to rock and roll even at that time. What did he play on that? Did he play uh, Fell in Love with a Girl? Death Letter? He played Death Letter? No, no, that was during the Elephant era. Yeah. I don't Uh, think they played Death Letter at that performance. I certainly remember when they played Death Letter on the, uh, the Grammy Awards. That's probably and what that I'm thinking blazing. I think it was a white light, but it was so bright when they were just getting to that plateau and peak of Death Letter, and he was ripping on that K guitar of his. It was so bright, it basically just turned the entire camera white or blue. Wow, I didn't know Jack Black actually introduced them on this one. Oh, that's right. The second, the second time Jack Black has introduced Jack White. That's right. <laughs> Let's see. Fell in love with a girl. Dead leaves in the dirty ground. I smell a rat. They didn't list them on here. Oh. I'm going through. Let's say they played I Think I Smell a Rat. If that was being blasted into homes across America, I find that amazing. And uh, it definitely would have attracted the fan base, which we've seen. He attracts a very specific audience. He's got mass appeal, too, but his fan base is really feverish, as we are testament to. But it's kind of remarkable that that was really like the eye-opening moment for a lot of people. And then that snowballed into other moments like we discussed the Grammys and that. So did you follow From the White Stripes to the Racks and Dead Weather and onward? Absolutely, 100%. I saw every show in Portland following their Elephant tour. Yeah. And the only show I missed was the Blunderbuss tour because I was getting deep into doing some fishing guide services out in Yellowstone and he just came through at that time and Yeah. Yeah, so saw the Rack on Tours three times. Awesome. Dead Weather twice and yeah, of course the White Stripes twice for Elephant and the Get Behind Me Satan tour. Sure. Just was devastated when they <laughs> canceled the Icky Thump tour, as everyone yeah. is. To circle back really quick, you worked at Yellowstone? Oh yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I've worked That's six awesome. seasons as a That's fishing awesome. guide in Yellowstone National Park. Yep. Wow. I feel like Jack White is writing his new album to be uh, <laughs> fishing music at Ye- or fishing guide music at Yellowstone is one of his things. The Cut Like a Buffalo was definitely a big theme song for, you know, myself and a lot of the people that I'd work with and get, you know, get intense with. We'd be driving on uh, late night <laughs> drives and looking for herds of bison, blaring a Cut Like a Buffalo. Yeah. <laughs> I always wondered, like, has Jack White been to Yellowstone? Was that around 2010 by any chance? Oh, yeah, it was right after. Yeah, right after that album came out. We were there in 2009. Oh, no way. Yeah, so we may have crossed paths at yeah. some point. I mean, it's a big place, but. <laughs> oh, it's huge, yeah. Yeah. The buffalo left a big impression. We were in one of those little herd, not quite a stampede, but definitely yeah. a, I suppose, a light stampede on one of those roads there. And it was one of the funkiest experiences I've oh, yeah. ever had. Best big screen TV experience ever, right? Yeah. Immersive was, was yeah. Was were you in the Lamar Valley? That's a good question. There's the Hayden Valley and the Lamar Valley, and those two valleys are the most prime wildlife viewing areas from the front country, from the road. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that's where a lot of people usually experience the largest herds of bison. We were staying in, well, we stayed in the park a little ways, but we were staying in Jackson Hole. So which would, what end of the park would that have been in? That's the south entrance. Okay. So you, you would have gone past Yellowstone Lake where I did my guiding services, that big, awesome. massive, high elevation lake. It's the largest lake at that elevation in North America. It's wow. uh, huh. at 7,700 feet. Huh. Lake Tahoe almost is as big but or i think it's bigger but it's not quite as high 
So yeah, mm. yeah. it's fascinating to me, honestly. Like, <laughs> seriously, and it's a super volcano, and it's ready to blow at any time. I mean, oh. that is that that park has so many talking points. It's it's crazy. Right. Yeah. That's why you moved closer to Mount St. Helens, which is <laughs> already a blown. Safer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, if that Yellowstone super volcano blows, everybody east is quite screwed, but west yeah. is a good place to be. <laughs> it's fine. California's falling into the ocean anyway. <laughs> yeah. We're all under threat by, you know, the uh, rocket man over in yeah. uh, Southeast Asia there. So. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So your fandom obviously stretched from the different iterations of Jack's music. Do you have a favorite era of stuff? I mean, obviously Stripes will hold a place in all of our hearts, I think, but do you have like a sweet spot for an album or a sweet spot for an era of Jack stuff? I think the album... And the period of time in my life that it came out uh, that impacted me the most, like on an emotional level and just the deep level, was probably "Get Behind Me, Satan." Yeah, you know, you it was both, both. <laughs> such an intense album, and yeah. oh my gosh, yeah, it didn't leave a as big an impact for me. I think because I was too young to appreciate it at the time. I mean, I wasn't like super young, but I think Icky Thump definitely struck me at the right moment in time for that one to have a little more resonance. But I remember Paul was gaga over that album and he wouldn't yeah. shut up about it <laughs> right. he kept trying to tell me to enjoy it more and i'm like but it's got marimba and he's like no the marimba's good and that's the and, thing uh, it really stands alone to me against the rest of them it, yeah yeah it's the oddball it's, one for sure yeah, yeah. and it's, it's not like i just like album. it because of that it certainly you know just has that tone and feeling uh, yeah. but of course i mean every album's got its own awesome things going on you know like sure. white blood cells is I, so brilliant because of its raw stripped down simplicity mm-hmm. and i basically taught my not only having already taught myself open chords on the guitar from acdc songs learning all these angus riffs angus young riffs mm-hmm. once the white stripes were on my radar and i you know the way he plays his guitar I was immediately honing in on that and so i basically you know taught myself the whole white blood cells album just by listening to it <laughs> because it's pretty simple it's just three chords with just about every song yeah. <laughs> yeah what a wonderful segue into your own musical journey so did you start out on guitar is that where you started well musically i started on the violin at nine and Whoa. then uh classically trained that way and picked up the bass well a friend lent me a nylon string guitar i kind of fiddled around on it learned a couple riffs here and there from people that would show me things like the Mission Impossible theme song and, you know, yeah. Smoke on the Water, stuff like that. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, and I picked up the bass and started playing bass in the band at school. And, uh, I just started enjoying just playing so much that I decided, well, I want a guitar and I think I want to start putting a band together. And I had maybe an electric guitar for about three months. And me and my best friend competed in the eighth grade talent show. And we played ACDC's TNT and Green Day's Brain Stew. Oh, oh fantastic. There's a combo. What, what was the band's name? Did you have one? My C- what was it? Uh, oh, Lithium. Because my buddy, was, <laughs> my buddy was getting super into Nirvana at the time. And he's like, let's call our band Lithium. And <laughs> I was like, okay, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I was focusing on just like trying to get the drummer to, and bass player to play their part, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we rocked the house. It was pretty epic in a small town in southern Idaho, right outside of Twin Falls, Filer, That's Idaho. Awesome. And uh, yeah, that was my first dollar I ever made playing music, and I still have that dollar. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, and then right after that was when I was informed we were moving to 
Greater Portland, Southwest Washington, Vancouver, Washington. And I was like, what? And lithium was no more. <laughs> was no more, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so then I, you know, of course, right after that, discovered the White Stripes and started honing in very much on that simplistic style and really grasping the concept of minimalism. That's something I didn't appreciate until later on. I always liked the White Stripes music, like, whenever I heard it, but the minimalism, like you said, is something that really took a while for me to wrap my head around just how little was going on in a song that sounded like so much was going exactly. on. Exactly. It's certainly something that that's worth learning about. So it's a good place to start. You see, you fell in love with the White Stripes. That's how you, you started to learn to play. Your album, Meet Blackjack Davy. in listening to that, the main influence I'm hearing, and I, it may be simply because of the instrumentation, is the solo work. For instance, Gypsy Girl, which I found myself humming all day. Right on. I really like that song. Shades of like parallel in there, in, in terms of the instrumentation, the, the Jack cover, the Dean Fertitta tune, and just it's got that. Uh, I don't know, is that a mandolin on that one? Is that one? Yes, there's a mandolin. So it seems like you're drawing some influence from that work. Is that something that was a conscious thing? No, influenced by what exactly? You mentioned Dean Fertitta. There's a song called Parallel, which is from the Lazaretto era, which has instrumentation, not in a, an exactly similar way, but in a way that echoed the choices in a way. Uh, the mandolin, the violin, it seemed like there might have even been violin on there and the yeah. guitar and stuff. Is the Lazaretto era a key era for you in terms of your songwriting, or is that just a... Not really. That, uh, no, that's no. just... <laughs> a, it's, it's a similarity there, yeah, okay. Yeah, oh, yeah, cool. yeah. Cool. You, you drew that parallel for sure. I, I, I'm not familiar with that song. Pun. I should check it out. You know what? Let's play a little bit of it here. Tell us a little bit about the album and how you went about uh, 
right? You wrote most of the songs on there? Is that right? Just about, yeah. I think there's three covers on there. I'd say at this point, my largest influences would have to be, that fall into that album and that project would have to be, of course, Jack White and his acoustic type stuff. Sure. And what he has done with acoustic extensions of the band with other instruments. Uh, Mm. But then, of course, Mr. Bob Dylan, Mr. Robert Zimmerman, and Lee Hazelwood, the guy who wrote all the Nancy Sinatra songs. Sure. That's cool. Psychedelic cowboy of the 60s, as they say. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I've just, since that early time we were talking of earlier, just really embraced the concept of simplicity and minimalism and just really stripping everything down. And the band that I had before deciding to go strictly acoustic and folk was very much reminiscent of the White Stripes. It was a guitar-drum duo. Mm -hmm. You know, we just very much recreated that kind of uh, experience in our shows, you know, the dueling guitar and drums and changing it up and, you know, being uh, spastic and impulsive. And it was loud. It was very loud. And as you were saying, the sound that just Jack and Meg made as the White Stripes was, like, mind-blowing because it would almost make you think you're listening to a full bandit sometimes, right? And people would say, like, that was just you two guys making all that noise, you know, after shows. (laughs) Yeah, surely it was just us. And So I was just kind of so disgruntled or, you know, burnt out from the the noise, if you will, that I was like, well, if this ain't going to continue, I'm going to go in the 100% opposite direction, (laughs) totally take a 180. So, yeah, it was, I think since that band broke up in 2013 and I started doing Blackjack Davey, I have not once plugged in an electric guitar to my amp. I have plugged in my acoustic, which has electric capabilities, but uh, sure. I've been strictly playing the same guitar since then. I'm looking to expand now, you know, like planning on album two. I kind of want to do more of a integrated type album, integrate more sure. instruments. And, but yeah, with the self-titled Meet Black Jack Davey, I just wanted to keep it as pure as possible. Sure. Mm-hmm. You're getting a lovely production quality to the album. Yeah, you, you produced it yourself as well? I did, yeah. And it was all recorded to a four-track tape. So I yeah, kept the analog 100%. Yeah, just nice. sonically, it's rich. I don't pretend to know a lot of that production side of things, but just listening to the sound you were able to get on that, it was such a full-bodied, really nice experience. And with instruments that were sort of quiet, they carried with them a lot of power. So I, I think you were really successful in that regard. Well, thank you very much. When you go into a project, you know, as Jack White always did, you know, you create your box... You get what you can into the box, and you work with what you get, and that really yeah, was yeah. how this whole album worked. You know, I tried to get as many people as I could involved on it to create, you know, the the instrumentation and the orchestration that I wanted and had in mind. But you know, I only ended up with the violin and the mandolin and drums yeah. on two tracks. Sure. You know, time just starts to slip away, and you got to realize, well, what's more important: just wrapping this up, or moving on, or uh, yeah, just yeah. wallowing in the same project forever you know so i i didn't want to take too much time on it and wait too long for other folks and whatnot so sure you said it was the same acoustic on every song on there just about yeah did you find yourself ever forming any strange kinship to the instrument uh, i know that oh absolutely because uh, i i'm not a musician but i i do art and so when i was inking a lot like a lot of really big pieces there was a like a year in my life where i was doing a lot of ink work and i, I challenged myself basically to use this one brush And that brush uh, sort of was like a crutch at a certain point where it was like me and this brush were going against the world. It was like splitting and cracking and I was taping it up and it became sort of like the challenge and also like a partnership with this instrument. 
I always enjoy hearing the journey of like a, a tool going through an entire period of uh, creation. Right, right. So, and that reminds me of, you know, Jack and his guitars with the white stripes and how he would just continue playing even if he'd break a string or, you know, something would be funky or screwed up with the guitar, you know, like basically plastic toys. Right, right. right. I was also reminded of Pollock's quote, embrace the accident yeah. <laughs> with your, with your uh, ink art that you did. Especially with ink, yeah. When it's permanent, it's permanent. So if there's an accident, you you got to embrace it or else you got to blotch there right. on the page. But yeah, obviously different worlds, but... Or else you got to start all over again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that whole notion of forming a bond with equipment that means something to you or taking equipment that is not necessarily technically the best, but using it to be that box that you're putting yourself in. I think Jack picked a lot of that up from Flat Duo Jets and Dex Romweber, which we talked about. Others had done that too, but Dex was notorious for Salvation Army guitars and real cheap stuff and Mm -hmm. and then just clinging to them, but in a way that was uh, conducive to his art. We talk a lot about the Beatles on this podcast, but McCartney's Hofner bass is basically a piece of junk. It was just this cheap flimsy garbage that he was able to afford before he got famous and then suddenly it became this iconic thing and so it becomes becomes associated with you yeah these airline guitars are absolutely impossible to attain at any reasonable price you know mainly because of jack yeah every ebay listing of them doesn't matter the connection they could be a blue guitar it'll say like jack white rare airline (laughs) (laughs) exactly you might as well uh build your own Rezo plastic guitar. You can buy a kit of those uh, those same bodies. Oh, yeah, wow. just build oh, your own. Cool. They're really easy to make. It's basically just nice. two pieces of plastic you put together and you put the neck on it, and there you go. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So Blackjack Davy, that's you cover that song on the album as well. Now I first became aware of that through the White Stripes because in the old days of LimeWire, uh, that was one of the first White Stripes songs. I had found was was Blackjack Davy. Truth and, be told, yeah. that's how, how I acquired that track as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's pulling from Dylan there, right? Dylan did a version of that, and it's actually an old traditional folk song, I believe. That is correct, sir. Blackjack Davy come riding on by, whistling loud and merry. The words around him ring and he charmed the heart of a lady Charmed the heart of a lady How old are you, my pretty little miss? How old are you, my honey? She answered him with a loving smile I'll be sixteen come Sunday folk song about the hmm. Gypsy Davy, and uh, Woody Guthrie did a version of Gypsy Davy, 
there's different verses out there, of course, but uh, Dylan's version pretty much encompasses all the verses, which I've always really appreciated, you know, so like whenever I cover a song, I try to acquire as many of the verses as I can find and, and <laughs> right, really, right. you know, include it all to give the whole experience to the audience when covering a song. Did you find a special kinship with that song, which is the, yes. the character you embody on the, on the stage? Absolutely. Yeah, my name's yeah. Connor Flynn, so a very Irish name. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know how much of an explanation you really want. <laughs> but, you know, in the story, as taboo as it is, Jack Davey falls in love with a 16-year-old. You really have uh-huh. no idea how old Jack Davey is, but they ride off together and live happily ever after. But at the same time, there's her drama going on. that She was already with another man, and in the song, that gentleman goes after them and finds them together on the riverbanks. Mm-hmm. But the whole metaphor and the whole idea behind the song, I just, not so much these days, but certainly in my late teens and early 20s, kept experiencing these women just wanted to take off and run off with me, even though they had all this business going on with some other guy, you know. And I just asked myself, like, what is it about me that entices these taken women, you know? Mm. So uh, it just became one of those things where I was like, well, I should just embody this character, not to pursue that kind of lifestyle necessarily but just to give myself a persona and a character and a theme and i was you know getting so much into the americana that i'd come across on all levels that i felt like that was the best platform to recreate what i wanted to present it Mm -hmm. in that fashion i never really knew much about that song to be honest the gypsy ideal some people have told me like how dare you call yourself a gypsy you're nothing like Mm -hmm. a gypsy and i know that the most prime origin and source of what we know in modern western culture as gypsies tends to be you know eastern europeans and east indian people right as far as stereotypes go but in an objective way of saying there are gypsies in every demographic from what i can tell but of course, as you know from seeing Fight Club, the Irish culture very much has a gypsy community. Oh, sure. you, you like dogs? Oh, dogs. You know, <laughs> you know, Brad Pitt and his accent. Those guys, you know, very Irish. <laughs> and in a way, I just kind of want to bring attention to the idea and meaning of what a gypsy is. And, you know, the song Gypsy Girl, it's really based on the first girl I truly fell in love with. And that was when I was about 15. I wrote that song when mm-hmm. I was with her and... She was as white as as flower, very Swedish, Scandinavian, you know, with the blue eyes and blonde hair and everything. But just her spirit, how she was so much of a free spirit and didn't get hung up on what other people thought. I just loved that, you know, and was very much inspired to create a song about a girl like that. It's very catchy. I appreciated the uh, it's it's got a pop nature to it. It's got a catchy riff. Yeah. That was good, and I like the, uh, I think it was uh, Lipstick Eyelash, the uh, acapella treatment to that. I thought was I thought was quite nice. So a lot of great tracks on this record. Again, that's Meet Blackjack Davey, and we'd like to really thank you for joining us on the show today. Where can people find you on the internet, and what can they get? Just give us the download. As far as getting anything, I'd highly suggest going to the Bandcamp page for Blackjack Davey, so www.blackjackdavey3 bandcamp.com and you can download meet blackjack davy or listen to it and stream it and then if you wanted to dig into the connor flynn discography the reds that i mentioned earlier actually were given a cease and desist notice by a lawyer representing the reds from the east coast that wrote 
the soundtrack and music for Miami Vice in the 80s. So, uh, oh, my God. <laughs> my whole uh, project pretty much got a kibosh put on that, you know, with the oh, Reverb Nation page being restricted and everything. But you can still see video footage of the concerts we played on my YouTube page, and that's Connor the Flynn. You could search on YouTube and find the channel there. As far as Reverb Nation goes, Blackjack Davey at Reverb Nation and uh, Blackjack Davey at Facebook as well. But pretty much add a three at the end of that and you'll surely find it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sounds well, it was good. a pleasure, gentlemen. I greatly appreciate you letting me be on the show. I am told the Cincinnati Reds forgive you. <laughs> yes, indeed. They, they're fine. Yeah. Are they still in Cincinnati? I don't know sports things. I didn't James? think they'd mind too much. I don't know why Although, I'm looking behind me. But. Big Red Chewing Gum has a big, big grape. <laughs> Against, they're still pissed. This yeah, they're pissed. Yeah, no, they're very upset. Uh, no, but um, thank you for joining us today. It was a pleasure yes, talking you. to you. Uh, I feel like I learned so much. Well, vice versa. I learned a lot from your guys' show as well. Uh, I'm surprised, but <laughs> also flattered, so thank you. <laughs> we all, all right, got a so story to tell. Yes, indeed. Yes. Indeed. All right, we're going to get all back right. to the show here. Adios. Paul, yes, what, James. What a preliminary tour that was! <laughs> I learned so much about how this group started out here, James. I'm very fascinated by it, and we're gonna pick up on this again when we reach our Sea of Cowards episode, and that one's gonna be really great. You guys are gonna love that one. We're gonna do that one very, very soon. Yeah. So yeah, let's All get those, to some shoutouts. Do you want me to go through uh, some Twitter shoutouts? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure alright we'd like to thank uh, some people who have been following us on twitter we thank you very much to Alan Tomlinson Joe Shortstack <laughs> Dylan Reynolds Music Morgan Williams Peter Elsnub DC Games and Vinyl Zach Carr Schizo Samia mm-hmm. Schizo Samia yep. Boom Years Beer right now, LA. Johnny Depp. <laughs> that is not the real Johnny Depp. It's at Private JBS. I just want that to be known. And Dan. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Dan. Oh. Uh, otherwise known as Blue Eyed Pickle Boy. Yeah. <laughs> so many of you on Twitter. Thank you so much for reaching out to us. <laughs> and Mick Collins. Oh, Mick thank Collins you. is still talking to us. My God. Thank you so much for talking to us on social media and on Twitter. We would like to thank our day in and day out regular listeners who we have compiled this handy dandy list of and whom we value a great deal. We have the Red Red Rain Prosper, Adrienne, the Punk Rock Queen King. We have our third woman in spirit, Callie Durga. We have Eileen, we see you over there, Corsano. We have Andre Ice Cold Lyman. We have my oh me, it's me oh my. Jeremy Riles keeping us on the rails. Kate McCoy, the bones of the operation, the opinion who's never right. No right opinion. We have Brian Walter be nicer to me. We have Brendan Smith. We also have Yvette Wilkins, Wilkins on Sunshine. We have S.A. Franco. Who are you? We have David Pope. 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 
po. We have Eric Andrew Dotson over here, LOL 2.0 with some chuckles. And we've also got Amy Hart, the heart of the operation. We want to thank you all. You're wonderful. God. Yes. And if you'd like to be one of those people, uh, you can find us on a number of places, including our Facebook page at facebook.com slash third men. You can tweet at us on our Twitter page at third men cast. You can tumble with us on uh, Tumblr, which is thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. We have a lot of graphic fan art on the Tumblr page. That we do. You could press our words on our WordPress website, which is where we host most of our uh, shows and show notes and stuff, which is thethirdmen.wordpress.com. You could email us, which we love to get your emails, and it brings a smile to our face. Even the hate mail, Paul. Yeah. Send us some uh, hate And mail. you can email us at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, speak to us on our Spreaker page, which is the iHeartRadio subsidiary. Just go on Spreaker and type in third men and you will find us if you type in third men podcast you might not type it right yeah you might find a hockey podcast you (laughs) might find us you might find a website devoted to orson wells who knows yeah but either way it's a win you're you're bound to enjoy one of those three you can find us on youtube where i do some visualizers and animations and things uh and that's on our youtube page james did such a funny one recently of our it was a random segment from a bit where we were talking about saturday night live and it's it's amazing you should check it out thank you i appreciate that um so you can find them there on youtube just type in third man on there and please rate, review, and subscribe to us on uh, on iTunes or whatever your podcatcher choice is. They all mean the world to us. We read the, every review, and they're all just super nice and super kind. And yeah. thank you. You should do that. Um, send us a listener question if you'd like. Uh, we'll answer those on the show eventually. We'd like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help in the recording of our theme song with the third men. Going back into the studio with those guys next week. So that'll be fun. Uh, Sam, nice. Sam and Tom, by the way, also helped in the recording of the theme song for the Yesterday and Today podcast. Not so much in the actual recording itself, but in the arrangement of such. So thank you, Sam and Tom, for doing that. The Yesterday and Today podcast being the Beatles podcast we are producing for our father, Wayne Kaminsky, which you should all check out. And we'd also like to thank Susanna Roundtree for the intro and outro of our program, as well as the Yesterday and Today program. They, uh, she, she does them both, James. Yeah, she's fantastic. Voice of our generation. Yeah, voice of oh. an angel. And also the uh, intro and outro of our Smash Men podcast. Uh, oh, Smash that's Men. right. She did do that. Yes. And will probably be the voice on a new podcast, which I'm teasing here and not going to say anything more about, but it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's a little zonkers. Yeah. We got that's another my one way for saying zany and bonkers in yeah, the same word. Zonkers. Which is. Zonkers. I think we may retitle it just the Zonkers, but there's another one coming. <laughs> let me let me just put it to you this way. If you are annoyed by the weird <laughs> intros we do to every episode of this show, you will hate this new show. I- imagine that rolled up into a longer format. Who knows by the time I'm done editing. <laughs> anyway, uh no more for now. We'll that, that, let's just leave that teaser there. We we did tell you that we were making the Third Men podcast bi-weekly to make room for other shows. We are doing that, by the way. I just can't guarantee you you'll be happy with what we're doing. <laughs> right. Yeah. God bless. God bless it. Godspeed. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> or whatever. Yeah, and Paul, as always, uh, I will be looking for a home in the very deceased clouds over London. Yeah, and I will and I will be looking for a home in one of Jack Dracula's three brides' bedrooms as a possessed mannequin in a rocking chair. Can I can I revise mine? Uh, I will be looking for a home as a miser for one of the seasons. And I would be I like to revise mine as well. I will be looking for a home as the accountant of the miser of one of those seasons. Good night. Good night. Or whatever. Yeah. Bye. It's fine. Or Goodbye. Morning, whatever. We'll just go. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. duty of every Starfleet officer is to the truth. To scientific truth, historical truth, and personal truth. And if you can't... Oh, shit. Should I get more wine? More wine! If If he were knighted, would you call him Sir Miser? Oh, oh, James! That James that hit me like a like a soft sack of bricks. Like <laughs> that pun pairs nicely with a good Carlo Rossi. James in the future. Is there something we should start smelling? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, it no, doesn't right. matter. Yeah. It Nothing matters anymore. <laughs> Very quickly, tell me which is worse. Leaving a mostly empty jug of Carlo Rossi or th- hiding it, throw, finishing it and throwing it out and hiding my shame? Uh, hiding makes you seem like an alcoholic. Uh, <laughs> leave- leaving a mostly empty bottle of Carlo Rossi makes you seem like an alcoholic. <laughs> He had a really good taste for boxed wine, yeah. Um, Oh, no, I guess that was the only place we touched on it. It's the only place we... Show me on the podcast where we touched it, Paul. In episode 44... Okay. (laughs) I would venture to guess we've got about 20 minutes, because... We're Paul. not, we're gonna, we're only doing like some intros and outros. Paul, I love you, but, but you always underestimate. You're worse <laughs> than James. And you're so well-intentioned. I know. Uh-huh. But I don't believe you. The what movie, Lincoln James. About? <laughs> Have a great recording. Abraham Lincoln. I love you. 
sorry. Um, Ariel is installing curtains directly below me uh, with, with a drill. <laughs> and um, anyway, sorry. Anyway, they uh, so they released uh, two. There's a really large woodpecker living in my house. <laughs> Very big. I'm getting a little drunk, which is fine. I'm cool with it. I'm trying to relax. Energy's good. There. Want some Carlo Rossi? <laughs> I'm having some golden monkey here. Some golden Lancelot monkey. Oh, should I break into beer number two? I think you might want to do that. Okay. I'm going to get through the rest of this, and then I'm going to break into beer okay. number two. All right. But that. yeah. All right. I'm going to go get a beer. I'll be right back. All right. Holding this jug of Carlo Rossi up to the Skype camera in the hopes that James will see it and have many a laugh. I don't know why I said Skype camera. I, no, it's just a camera on my computer. <laughs> Is that Carlo Rossi himself? Is that Mr. Rossi? It's, it's done. Oh man, Paul killed it. I killed the Carlo. I bought now you it. can fill it with pennies. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been drinking this one since uh, Friday. Most of that beer just went in my lungs. Oh, it's fine. James, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Makes the uh, heart go fonder. Something. I picked up. I was about to pet the Carlo Rossi uh, bottle like it was Charlie. I am going to use the restroom before we do the link list. I got to pee real bad. Yeah, me too. I can't believe it either, Paul, and I really had to pee really bad. Oh, okay. I did too.